0: Acts chapter 25, we're going verse by verse through Acts. We're down to the last four chapters of the book, and we're going to look to cover the entire chapter tonight of Acts 25. If you have Acts 25, we're going to be 9 through 12 in the introduction, and then looking verse by verse, beginning at back at verse 1 when we get into the outline. If you have it, if you would, and you're able to stand for the reading of God's Word, we'll be reading from 9 down through verse number 12. The Bible says, But Festus, willing to do the Jews a pleasure answered Paul and said, Wilt thou go up to Jerusalem, and there be judged of these things before me? Then said Paul, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat, where I ought to be judged. To the Jews have I done no wrong, as thou very well knowest. For if I be an offender, or have committed anything worthy of death, I refuse not to die. But if there be none of these things, whereof these accused me, no man may deliver me unto them. I appeal to Unto Caesar, then Festus, when he had conferred with the council, answered, Hast thou appealed unto Caesar? Unto Caesar shalt thou go. Title of the sermon this evening is this, Playing Politics with God's Preacher. Playing Politics with God's Preacher. I I see the artwork when you guys see the artwork, and I saw your faces light up when he put that up there, uh, game show-esque here. But that's exactly what's going on is, What's Not not what's right, not what's best for Paul, what's going to be politically best for Festus. That's what he wants to know. That's how he's going to play this, and we'll see in the sermon this is going to backfire in his face. Let's pray tonight. Lord, help us as we look at this passage to understand that you are in charge, that Lord, nobody, uh, no matter how selfish they are in our direction, nobody is going to be able to do anything to us that you can't turn around and use in our favor. Lord, you're you're divine, you're sovereign, you reign supreme, and Lord, as our Father, you're always looking out for us, and Lord, we're thankful for that, we find rest in that, we find hope in that, and so Lord, as we see this very truth playing out in the life of Paul tonight, help us to leave here with our faith just a little bit stronger than it was before we came in, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. What does it mean to play politics with someone's life? Well, simply put, it means that someone is willing to, add, uh, to advance or someone is willing uh, to advance you or demote you based on what's best for themselves, based on their own self-interest. Right? I will promote you, but only if in the end it's going to help me. I will demote you if it's going to help me. It's not about you; it's about me. That's the attitude of someone who is playing politics. Last week, we saw an example of this. Felix was willing to let Paul go for free. Remember this? He was willing to let Paul go if Paul was willing to grease his palm, if Paul was willing to put some money in his hand, if Paul was willing to give him a bribe, then he would let Paul go free. What was Felix doing? Uh, 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 Right, Felix doing. Felix was playing politics with Paul, he wasn't, looking for, uh, uh, he wasn't looking for advancement politically as far as the Jews go. Uh, things between Felix and the Jews had already gone sour and had gone south, and as we'll see in a moment, he would be relocated to another station. Uh, he was looking rather for a bribe. He was looking for money, and Felix had played politics with Paul. And um, uh, When someone is playing politics, they are more concerned about something or someone, usually themselves, More than they are about you. Uh, When someone is playing politics with you, uh, they see you as nothing more than an end to a means of promoting and pushing something or someone else, whether it's an organization. You see this oftentimes at work where you're nothing more than just a pawn that is able to be sacrificed, if that's what it takes, to advance the cause of the company and the goal. And the company is bigger than you are. And the company is more important than you are. And they're willing to mistreat you and throw you out if that means the company is advanced, the company moves forward. And this is played politics are played with people when it comes to looking to advance a company unfortunately i've seen politics played where uh someone is uh, sacrificed in order for a church to grow i've seen politics played at church with preachers Uh, uh there are times where politics are played so that an individual can be advanced while they step on you the end to the means is more important than the person involved and when someone is playing politics they oftentimes will step on you in order to advance themselves. Um, uh, sometimes it can feel like other people are controlling your life. Sometimes other people may think that they are controlling your life. Now I'm just curious this evening, how many of you have either had this happen to you or it's happened to someone that you love? You know what I'm talking about tonight. You've seen these kind of things play out. Unfortunately, I've seen these kind of things play out, and uh, people are willing to do things that are shady at best in order to advance their own name and their own cause. Now, if you're a child of God, then no one can do anything to you uh, that God cannot spin back into your favor. No one can do anything to you that God cannot spin back into your favor. I'll give you some biblical examples of this. You remember the story of Joseph, Right? There his brothers are. They hate his guts. Dad's played favorite with Joseph. And Joseph's talked about how they're all going to bow down to him and worship him one day. And brothers cannot stand Joseph. They hate Joseph. They want to kill Joseph. But instead of killing Joseph, they make money off of Joseph. And they sell him into slavery, thinking they will never see see, see or hear from him again. And lo and behold... Uh, God spends that back in Joseph's favor, does he not? You remember the brothers come and they're looking for food and who do they have to go ask for food but Joseph? They bow down and do obeisance. And then uh, dad is brought in the picture later. And dad bows down and does obeisance to his son. And sure enough, the prophecy, the dream came true. And remember that after Jacob died, Joseph's brothers came to him and said, dad is dead. Surely he's going to want to kill us. Hey, Joseph, dad says that you you shouldn't kill us. And Joseph is distraught at their, uh, their request. And Joseph says to them, listen, guys, you meant this evil unto me you were playing politics with me but god meant it unto good there is nothing that a person can do to you that god cannot and oftentimes will not spend back into your favor how about daniel how about daniel you remember daniel was just a young innocent man growing up in israel and minding his own business working hard obedient to his parents and in love with his god and faithful to his Faith and uh, uh, just a lover of the Lord, pure in heart, pure in mind, pure in action, innocent in every way, and lo and behold, he's captured and carried away into Babylon. His parents were probably killed. He's carried away into Babylon, and now. uh, uh, rather, Nebuchadnezzar is playing politics with the life of the Hebrew boys. He is bringing them in. He's killing off the, the old crowd. He's bringing in the cream of the crop of Israel. Why? So he can advance his own name. So he can advance his own cause. So he can do what's best for himself. And Daniel's life had spun out of control, if you think of it in that sense. We listen, I know that I do this oftentimes, is that I've heard these stories from when I was knee-high to a grasshopper all the way up, and you seem to lose the emotion of it. We know that Daniel was carried away into captivity. We almost yawn at that statement. Imagine if another country were to raid us And kill off our parents, us parents, and take our kids and carry them to a foreign country. How traumatic would that be? That's what Daniel went through. We yawn at the statement because we've heard it for all these years. This was not like, oh, okay, Daniel's in captivity now. Let's continue to read the historical record of what happened. This was a traumatic experience for all these boys. Their parents, they'd been ripped away from their parents. If their parents hadn't been killed, it doesn't matter. They were never going to see their parents again. They were being raised in another country. They were trying to have a, uh, they were being brainwashed uh, into uh, falling in line with what uh, the, the Babylonian Empire wanted from them. But Daniel stayed true to his God and God spun things back In Daniel's favor, Daniel would end up writing one of the most critical books of the Old Testament when it came to prophecy. In fact, you cannot understand the book of Revelation without understanding first the book of Daniel. Daniel would be the one that would prophesy and give us the date down to the very year that the Messiah would be cut off. Daniel would uh, become a a, 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 a pre, a, let's see here. He would become a premium influence of every king that would reign for the next three kings in Israel. He played a role in that kingdom and influencing that kingdom. In fact, the wise men that came and gave the gifts to Jesus. To fund Joseph and Mary's raising Jesus were probably influenced by the writing of Daniel who had lived years before. How about that? Daniel's life most likely helped pay the way for King Jesus to be able to live as a child with peasant parents. Uh, uh, listen, these Nebuchadnezzar played politics with the life of Daniel, but God spun it back into Daniel's favor. I'll give you one more example tonight, and that's of Stephen, the, the, the deacon Stephen. And you know the story, Stephen being stoned, and you think, "Well, how did politics being played with Stephen come back to help him he He was martyred, he was murdered, he was killed. How can you dare say that Stephen had uh, this playback in his favor? Do you know that at the martyr of Stephen, this was a watershed moment for the church, where the leaders of the church and the people of the church left Jerusalem and were spread all over the globe, and this kicked off worldwide missions. Because Stephen was martyred, because Stephen was murdered, in part, you and I are here today having church all these years later. I think Stephen is maybe in heaven right now among that great cloud of witnesses Hebrews tells us about. He's looking down on uh, churches like ours that are meeting all over the globe uh, uh, for a Sunday evening church service. And in part, he has to understand that because politics was played with his life and he was murdered, uh, there are still the church being advanced today uh, in part because of what he had to endure. Listen, when other people are bad actors in your life and they p- play politics and it hurts you, whether it's at work, whether it's uh, uh, within your family, whether it's another setting, even at church, if it were to happen, at the end of the day, God can take any action against you and he can spin it to benefit you and not hurt you. Here's the question. The question is, will you trust God when you're being mistreated by other people? Will you trust God when you're being mistreated by other people? How many of you have been around uh, uh, enough churches? Thankfully, I don't know that this has ever happened at White Oak Baptist Church. Uh, The three pastors that have been here have been uh, scandal-free. How many of you have been to other churches and seen where uh, things have gotten ugly and a pastor's been thrown out or a pastor's had a major sin problem and been dismissed? And you've seen politics played... ...at church, either toward the pastor or by the pastor. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. Any of you been around long enough to see those things? Boy, it's ugly. It's ugly. And listen, people lose their faith in God. People lose their faith in church. People walk away. People don't want anything else to do with it. Let me just tell you that God is still on the throne and God is in charge. And God allows sometimes things like this to happen. He's playing the long game. He has a plan in place. The question is, will you trust Him? Will you trust him? Oftentimes when bad things come into our life, we shrug our shoulders and we say, well, God doesn't love me anymore. We give up on God. Listen, I'm here to tell you, stay in it. Stay in the fight. Keep putting one spiritual foot in front of the other. You will see that in the end, God will come through. We're going to look at four points this evening as we unpack Acts 25 and we look at this title, this concept of playing politics with God's preacher. Let's look at point number one tonight. Point number one, notice the Jews plot, the Jews Look at verse number one of Acts chapter 25. We'll read down through verse five. The Bible says, Now, when Festus was come into the province, after three days he ascended from uh, Caesarea to Jerusalem. So, um, uh, Festus has been put in place, he's taken over for Felix. And Festus's palace was in Caesarea, a, a town that was bordered the Mediterranean. And he's now only been charged three days. And after three days of being in charge, he takes a trip from Caesarea to Jerusalem. Uh, Felix is in charge of all of Judea. He uh, is a Roman leader, as a Roman uh, ruler. His, his rulership that he's been assigned is over all of Judea. So he leaves Caesarea. He has Jerusalem. Verse 2, then the high priest and the chief of the Jews informed him against Paul... Besought him and desired favor against him, that he would send for him to Jerusalem, laying wait in the way to kill him. But Festus answered that Paul should be kept at Caesarea, and that he himself would depart shortly thither. Let them, therefore, said he, which among you are able, go down with me and accuse this man if there be any wickedness in him. So Paul had been sitting in prison now for two years under. Felix and had been left in limbo. No doubt, Paul was anxious for a verdict, and the Sanhedrin, the Jewish council, they were also anxious for a verdict. Felix was recalled by his Roman superiors, and Festus was installed to oversee the Jews in this region. And uh, the Jews had not forgotten about Paul. They still hated him. They still wanted him dead. They were willing to do whatever it took to make sure he was dead. And so Festus had come to Jerusalem uh, for presumptively the first time and is hoping to get his relationship off to a great start with the powerful Jewish Sanhedrin and the Jews, knowing of Festus's desires, they inquire that Paul uh, can be brought to them and uh, that Paul can be held, a trial can be held for Paul right there in Jerusalem while uh, Festus is present. But that was not their intentions. Their intentions were not to just to bring Paul into Jerusalem for a trial. They had people who were going to be laying wait in the way to kill Paul to have Paul. Murdered, and surely a centurion guard would not be able to stop the onslaught they had planned. And so Paul was never going to make it to Jerusalem if they had their way. And uh, so they're playing on, they're jumping on Festus. Festus is new in town. Festus is trying to earn points with his political constituents, and so they petition Festus, please bring this high-profile prisoner down. Let us try him here. They had every intention of killing him. Uh, now we see that it's not only a politician playing politics with Paul, it's the Jewish uh, uh, leaders that are also trying to play politics with his life. Number one, we see the, Jew, the Jews' plot. Number two, notice Festus's politics. Festus's politics. Look at verse 6. And when he, Festus, had tarried among them more than ten days, he went down unto Caesarea. And the next day, sitting on the judgment seat, commanded Paul... To be brought, and when he was come, the Jews which came down from Jerusalem stood round about and laid many and grievous complaints against Paul, which they could not prove, while he answered for himself, uh, uh, Neither against the law of the Jews, neither against the temple, nor yet against Caesar have I offended anything at all. So uh, uh, Festus stays in Jerusalem for ten days after he denies the request. What happened? During those 10 days, we don't know, but if I could surmise, if I could uh, guess, I would guess that maybe the Jews took Festus and showed him the uh, outer court of the temple where only Gentiles were allowed to be. Maybe they walked Festus up to the line between Jew and Gentile where uh, Gentiles were not allowed into the temple and those signs would have been posted saying any Gentile that enters beyond this point will be killed. Maybe they explained to Festus that Paul not only went past this line while he was a Jew, he was allowed. He brought Gentiles with him, which was false, but was their accusation. Maybe uh, they showed him around the Sanhedrin. Maybe they whined and dined him. But Festus was there for ten days. He goes back to Caesarea, and they the next day bring Paul out, and they're going to have... A second trial. A second trial. He's already been tried before Felix. Felix knew he was innocent. Felix left him in limbo. Felix left him in prison. Festus, no doubt, had uh, uh, records that he could have pulled. He could have talked with the captain of the guard who had originally arrested uh, Paul, but he did not do that. Instead, he plays politics. He decides he's going to have yet another trial for paul number one we see the jews plot number two festus's politics number three we see paul's petition paul's petition now uh look at verse number 10 then said paul i stand at i'm sorry let me let me back up go back to verse 9 because here's where the politics get played left out an important part of the sermon Look at verse 9 but festus look at this phrase here willing to do the jews a pleasure Answered Paul and said, Wilt thou go up to Jerusalem and there be judged of these things before me? Now the Jews have begged that Paul go to Jerusalem. And I just would like to know why, Festus, do you want to send Paul to Jerusalem? You already have the entire council and all of the accusations right here in Caesarea. They've just laid out their case. Paul has done an accurate job of refuting it. Why do you want to send Paul back to Jerusalem to be tried there? Festus knew nothing about Jewish culture or customs or he knew nothing about Judaism as we'll see in a moment he as much admits so he doesn't know anything about these things he's not going to be able to oversee a religious court case and why send him back to Jerusalem Paul's already been to Jerusalem he's already been tried in Jerusalem remember a couple of weeks ago we saw Paul being tried in Jerusalem and he brings up the resurrection of the dead and there's a tug of war played over the body of Paul and the captain of the guard Lysias has to run in and rescue him this is going Backwards for Paul, not forwards for Paul. Why does Festus offer to send Paul back to Jerusalem? Because he's playing politics. Verse 9, rather, rather, uh, yes, verse 9 says, willing to do the Jews a pleasure. Hey, at the end of the day, if the constituents, the powerful Jerusalem council is happy, hey, guess what? Festus is off to a great start. Felix had just been recalled from being the governor of Judea because he and the Sanhedrin didn't get along. He and the Sanhedrin had fought. He and the Sanhedrin had been at odds, Roman history tells us. So Felix has been given instruction, when you go in there, make peace with the Sanhedrin. Paul is nothing more than a pawn to be used, to be sacrificed in order for that to happen. The problem is that Paul's not just a Jew. Paul is a Roman citizen, and this plan of Festus' is about to backfire in his face. Uh, He's asking Paul to go to Jerusalem, and Paul wants nothing to do with it. Number three, we see Paul's petition. Look at verse number 10. Then said Paul, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat, where I ought to be judged. To the Jews have I done no wrong, as thou very well knowest. You know I'm innocent. For if I be an offender or have committed anything worthy of death, I refuse not to die. Hey, if I've broken the law and I've done something worthy of death, uh, I'll be the first one to lay my head on the guillotine, chop my head off, Paul says. I have done nothing wrong. But, verse uh, 11 says, But if there be none of these things whereof uh, these accuse me, no man may deliver me into them. I appeal unto Caesar. There's the petition. I appeal unto Caesar. Then Festus. When he had conferred with the council, answered, Hast thou appealed unto Caesar? Unto Caesar shalt thou go. What a peculiar appeal. Paul had done nothing wrong, and uh, he should have been set free. He should have been let go. The Jews wanted him dead because they didn't like his doctrine. Not because he had done anything wrong, they just didn't like his doctrine, and they didn't like how zealous he was for uh, the, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Festus wanted to please his Jewish constituents. If Paul had been sent to Jerusalem, there's a good chance. If God had not intervened, he would have been murdered in the way. So And, and Paul by the way, Paul would have known this. You remember the 40 men who uh, declared, "We will not eat or drink until Paul is dead? Paul knew that they wanted him dead. Paul was very, very aware of this. Paul knew to go back to Jerusalem would have been a risk to his health. Paul knew that it was a waste of time. Paul knew that it was totally unnecessary. So what does he do? He pulls out his Roman trump card and he declares, I want to go see Caesar. Now, here's where uh, an understanding of Roman culture and Roman history will help us. If you were a Roman citizen and you felt as though... Uh, you were being mishandled by the judicial Roman system, then as a Roman citizen at any point, you could appeal to the highest court of the land. You could appeal to uh, Rome. You could appeal to Caesar's justice court. And immediately that grant, uh, that that request had to be granted. So here you have Festus. He's playing politics with Paul. He says to Paul, can I send you back to Jerusalem? Are you willing to go... Back to Jerusalem, thinking I'm going to do my constituents a—I'm uh, going to do my uh, constituents a solid. I'm going to be uh, uh, in good with them. Uh, I'm going to see that Paul is 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 sacrificed as a rook, and I'm going to be advanced in my standings with them. And the whole thing backfires in his face because Paul says, "Listen, I'm a Roman citizen. You can't do this to me. I want to go to Rome, and I want to go to Rome now." And uh, really, Festus had no choice but to say, "Okay." If that's what you want, then that's what I'll give you. I will send you to Rome. Number uh, four. Lastly, we see Festus's problems. Festus's problems. Well, this created a whole set of problems for Festus. And we'll see that he does not know how to send Paul to Rome or on what charges to send Paul to Rome. Letter A, we see his desire to for help, his desire for help. Look at verse number thirteen, and we'll read down through verse number eighteen. The Bible says enough after certain days King Agrippa and Bernice came unto Caesarea to salute Festus, and when they had been there many days Festus declared Paul's case unto the king, saying, There is a certain man left in bonds by Felix, about whom when I was at Jerusalem the chief priests and the elders of the Jews informed me, desiring to have judgment against him. To whom I answered, it is not the matter of the Romans to deliver any man to die. Before that, he which is accused have the the accusers face to face and have license to answer for himself concerning the crime laid against him. Therefore, when they were come hither without any delay on the morrow, I sat on the judgment seat and commanded the man to be brought forth against whom uh, when the accusers stood up, they brought none accusation of such things as I supposed. And King Agrippa King Agrippa here has come to see Festus, and he has every reason to be on Festus's good side. Now, Festus and Agrippa were contemporaries. Uh, Festus was the ruler over Cilicia, a different province, and uh, rather Agrippa was a ruler over Cilicia, a different province, and here you have Festus over Judea and Jerusalem. Now watch this, uh, uh, Agrippa, he, his name was, his full name was Herod. Agrippa, Herod, Agrippa, at the time of this visit of Agrippa to see Festus, Agrippa, don't, I hope everyone's listening, somebody's daydreaming, they're going to miss it, so snap into it, amen, how many, I just woke you up, don't raise your hand, okay, you you give yourself up, Uh, uh, so Agrippa leaves Cilicia, he comes to Jerusalem, and then he goes to Caesarea, what business did Agrippa have, Herod, Agrippa have in Jerusalem and Caesarea, well, at that time, they were building a temple to Herod. They were building a temple to Herod the Great, the one that had Jesus, or tried to have Jesus murdered. And so this is the great-grandson of that Herod, Herod Agrippa. He's coming in to oversee or to see how progress of this is going, and now Festus is in charge Of that building, so Agrippa comes into town. He's going to spend some time with uh, Festus, and the two of them are going to be buddies. And Agrippa is going to work with Festus to make sure that the construction of the temple is done just the way that he wants it done, so his great grandfather's name can be remembered. And so, while they're there for many days, while they're there for many days, we know uh, that um, uh, that that uh, Festus says to Agrippa, "Man, I need your help." I need your help. Now, another point of note here in the passage. We see here that Agrippa is with someone named Bernice. Bernice. Has anyone here ever looked into who Bernice is? I'm just curious. Mike, have you looked into who Bernice is? It's his sister. This is his sister. Roman history books tell us that Agrippa and um, Bernice they enjoyed an incestuous relationship with each other. These two were living in sin. They were brother and sister, but they were living as though they were husband and wife. And uh, that is found splattered through all kinds of Roman history documents and Roman historians. Many have recorded that that was, uh, that was perceived, that was believed. In fact, Bernice would go through, not this Bernice, amen, the Bernice in Bible times. Amen. Brother, sister, and the Lord it's Bernice, yes. It's actually not Bernice. If you want to get technical in the Roman, it's like a whole longer name that's far more complicated. But we'll go with Bernice. That way Bernice doesn't have to feel word association, all right? Bernice. Okay. Bernice uh, uh, would try to get married later on in order to cover up the fact that marriage would fall apart and she would go right back to uh, Agrippa and, uh, and they would continue to live in sin. And so Agrippa, we're going, to look deeper at Agrippa uh, uh, we're going to look deeper at Agrippa next week as Paul directly witnesses to him, and Agrippa almost gets saved. But uh, here we see that Festus has a problem. He's, he's conspired against Paul. He should have just let him go. He was an innocent man. He knew he was an innocent man. He tried to send him back to Jerusalem. The whole thing backfires in his face, and now Agrippa is here, and he's seeking help from Agrippa. Letter B, we see Festus's denial of Christ. Festus's denial of Christ. Look at verse 19. The Bible says, But had certain questions against him of their own superstition. Again, this is Festus talking to Agrippa about Paul and, his, and, and the Jews and their faith. But, but had certain questions about him. Look here. Of their own superstition. And of one Jesus, which was dead, whom Paul affirmed to be alive. And because I doubted of such manner of questions, I asked him whether he would go to Jerusalem and there be judged ...of these matters, notice he labeled Judaism as superstition. Superstition. Now, I would just say the Romans' form of worship was far more superstitious than anything that the Jews ever had. In fact, Judaism was far superior religion to anything the Romans would ever know. And then Paul's claim of Jesus, he labels Jesus not as the Jesus or the way, he labels him as one Jesus... You see, he's labeling him in a generic way. He's framing Jesus as just some generic guy on the street. And that Paul, he says, not that Paul claims that he arose from the dead, but Paul affirmed to be alive. You see how he's he's secularizing the story of Jesus here? He's turning the faith of the Jews and of Paul into just superstition. Superstition. We see that Ephesus' biggest problem was not that he was seeking to uh, through corrupt uh, means to advance his own name and cause, his real problem was that he had, a, he had denied Christ. He had denied Christ. What a sad thought. Festus had in custody the most influential missionary of all time. He had in custody the man who is responsible for doing more propagating, or, uh, rather pushing of the church and establishing of the church than anyone in the history of the world at that known time. He had the Apostle Paul in captivity, and yet he's so dismissive. He's dismissive. He's not willing to listen to anything Paul has to say. He's more concerned about playing politics with Paul to advance his own name and his own cause in the earthly kingdom than he is in advancing his own name in God's kingdom. So sad. So sad. Festus, who's your prisoner? Some guy named Paul. Festus, what is Paul all about? He's about some man named Jesus, some superstition, some man who he claims to be alive, other people say, is dead. Festus, uh, you have a heart that's cold, and you are not willing to listen to truth. You're dismissive of the truth because you are so drunk on yourself and your own career and your own fame and your own power. And what was Festus's problem? Well, he was a God-hating, God-denying man, and he had a problem in his denial of Christ. Let us see. lastly, notice, his dilemma with Caesar. His dilemma with Caesar. Look at verse 21. But when Paul, again, he's continuing to talk to Agrippa here, but when Paul had appealed to be reserved under the hearing of Augustus, I commanded him to be kept till I might send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said unto Festus, I would also hear the man myself. Tomorrow, said he, thou shalt hear him. And on the morrow, when Agrippa was come, and, how do I say this? Bernice, there you go. And Bernice, with great pomp, uh, and was entered into the palace of hearing with the chief captains and principal men of the city, at Festus' commandment, Paul was brought forth. Now there's quite a crowd gathered here. All the pomp, all the glitz, all the glam. Notice there, uh, it says that the chief captains, this would have been the top military brass, was present uh, at, this, uh, at this meeting. The principal men of the city, this would have been the top political influencers, they were there. King Herod Agrippa was present. Bernice was present. King Festus was was present. Uh, After the room's been assembled and all of these uh, uh, big officials in their fancy clothes uh, have been properly sat around the judgment hall, Paul is ordered to be brought in. Look at verse 24. And Festus said, King Agrippa and all men which are here present with us, ye see this man about whom all the multitude of the Jews have dealt with me at Jerusalem and also here, crying that he ought to Not to live any longer. So Festus is going to set up the narrative as it best reflects to him. But when I found that he had committed nothing worthy of death... Stop right there. You found that he had committed nothing worthy of death, you should have let him go. You should have just set him free. You knew he was innocent, but instead you put Paul in a predicament where he had to appeal to to Rome because you were going to send him to his death by sending him back to Jerusalem. He says, but I found that he had done nothing worthy of death... And that he, he himself hath appealed to Augustus. Yeah, because you put him in a spot where he had to appeal to Augustus. I have determined to send him, of whom I have no certain thing to write unto my Lord. Wherefore, I have brought him um, forth before you, and specially before thee, O King Agrippa, that after examination, had I might have somewhat to write. For it seemeth to me unreasonable to send a prisoner, and not withal to signify the crimes laid against him. This is a very, very dishonest presentation of facts by by Festus. Again, I just want to reiterate, no doubt he had the records of the original trial with Felix. Romans kept, kept copious notes, copious court records. He had Lysias, the captain of the guard, from two years prior. At his access, he could have interviewed. And he never needed to take this to a new trial. Never needed to. This did not need to go to trial. He did this because he was playing politics with Paul. The truth is, he could have and should have set Paul free. Even after things had gone to trial... He could have drawn a conclusion at the end of the trial that Paul was a free man, but instead he decided again to play politics with Paul and threatened to send him back to Jerusalem. When Paul called him out on it and requested to go to Rome, now Festus was stuck to find a reason to send him because there wasn't a real reason to send Paul to Rome. Here he has gathered all of these men. He's got... Military brass, he's got political uh, leaders, he's got Agrippa, Bernice, himself. They're all sitting around this semicircle. Paul's sitting there and they're saying, guys, we need to interview him. I've got to send him to Rome because that's where he's requested to go. But I don't even really have a reason to send him because he's innocent. Wow. You've put yourself in a bad spot, haven't you, Festus? This is coming back on your head. I've read some opinions about whether or not Paul should have requested to go uh, to Rome. And I've read people who have, I, I've read that people, things that people have written, and they've said that Paul made this request in haste. Paul made this request in an emotional state. He, he, he rushed to judgment and should have just let the, the, the court system play out, and he would have been set free. And I would say, time out on that statement. Because Jesus himself came down and visited Paul in the prison when he was in the castle back in Jerusalem and said, you will go to Rome and minister for me. There's no question God's will at this point for Paul was for him to go to Rome. By appealing to Caesar, he was simply asking for God's will to be played out in his life. Furthermore, again, he knew nothing good awaited him in Jerusalem. He knew that's where things were headed. What would happen in Rome? Well, God's will would happen in Rome. Paul would go on to go to Rome, we'll see in the next couple of chapters, and he would write some of the most critical epistles found in our Bible. Paul would influence many, many people and touch many, many lives as he traveled to Rome and even in Rome. Yes, Festus played politics with God's preacher. But God was ultimately in charge. God was ultimately in charge. God is greater than those who do us wrong. He just is. I, I see a trend amongst, amongst humanity. When things don't go our way, we blame God. And I'm not saying anyone here does that, although it's tempting sometimes, isn't it? We blame God. And God's just saying, hang on. Yes, this is bad, and this happened in your life. It may even be catastrophic. But hang on. Stay with me. Stay the course. Because I'm going to bring this back around into your good. Just keep living your life for me. Don't throw in the towel. Don't quit. Yes, others are doing you wrong. But I, God, am greater than their evil. My good is greater than their evil. And I will bring this about to your good and to my glory. So let's follow Paul's example. Let's just learn to trust God. Come what may, God's on the throne and we're going to trust Him. Let's have our heads bowed in nice closed this morning, or this evening rather. A sermon like this is very, very, very specific. Many sermons I preach are broad in nature and have a broad application to many people. The sermon tonight applies to those in very, very specific situations. Maybe you are in a place right now where someone is playing politics with your life. Someone is trying to manipulate you into doing something that you know you shouldn't do. Uh, and they're bribing you. They're offering you things they shouldn't. Maybe someone's stepping on you or kicking you in the proverbial ribcage. And you feel as though someone uh, who has power over you, leverage over you, is, is, is abusing that. it hurts. It hurts. I don't know what each of you are going through, I don't know, but I know this, God is on the throne. And I know that we need to learn to trust Him. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, one more thing I'll say here before we have our invitation is this. If You're in a position of leadership and power. Don't abuse it. Be honest by people. You may be accused of playing politics, but God knows the truth. God knows the truth. You do right by people. You be honest by people. They know and you know whether or not you are. God knows whether or not you are. And don't play politics with people's lives in order to better your own cause. You, you let God better you as you humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. Let accusations come and go. You just be faithful. You just stay the course. And tonight, the challenge is simple. Will you trust God? Come what may. Lord, I pray tonight you would take the sermon and uh, that's been preached, the passage that's been covered, line upon line, verse upon verse, chapter by chapter. We're going through the Bible, and Lord, I don't know who needed this tonight, but you do. And so Lord, work and move in hearts and and heal and help and Lord, help all of us to lean on you and trust you through good times and bad in Jesus' name.